I came across this uh, painting recently it's by a Dutch artist, Piet Mondrian. You heard of him? It's more famous for this uh, abstract sort of things. But he made this as well, and um, I like it. The name of the painting is uh, Village Church. So, where's the church? Easy question. It's right in the center, right? Behind the trees there, it's a church with a clock tower. But as I looked at the painting, I realized the church is actually, the real church is actually in the foreground. It's the trees. So we have some uh, adult trees growing there. Then we have this teenage tree a bit further away, figuring out where he fits in. And then we have quite a bunch of small children trees growing up there. The church is, of course, a building here. We have this building here. But that's not the real church. This is just a building. The church is the people. And where this church building is, is very... Um, it's a very simple composition of straight lines. These trees look very, very complicated. Lots of branches growing in all sorts of directions, even outside the, the frame of the painting. It seems the more they grow up, the more entangled they become. Does it sound familiar? And yet I like the painting. It's, it's fascinating. So how do I see this church? How do you see this church? Complicated? Maybe. Overwhelming? Sometimes. Messy? I wouldn't say that. Fascinating, definitely. So how are we doing as a church? I don't want to answer that question. I leave that to you just think about it pray about it Lord how are we doing as a church how am I doing today we look at our sixth core value growing it says through the life changing power of God and the help and input of our brothers and sisters we learn what it means to grow in love godliness and holiness. So the key word is growing. How do churches grow? Is it just a matter of pouring some water? Well, that's part of it. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So God gives the growth. Let's establish that first before we move on. And that is the reason why this morning we had a prayer meeting in the back, which was wonderful. And I hope that soon we will outgrow that little room there. It's wonderful to pray at the beginning of the service because God gives the growth. But a picture of a field with you know, green stuff growing there and some people pouring some water... 
that's not the whole picture. It's a bit oversimplified. If that were the whole picture, the church would soon be a jungle, which, which most of the time you don't take that as a compliment. Hey, I like your church. It's, it's really a jungle. In fact, Paul uses a whole range of different images throughout the epistle uh, to the Corinthians um, to give us a full picture of what the church is and what it should look like. So we will look at chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians and we will see there three images. We will see a family meal and then a field and then a temple. A family meal, and that is verse 1 to 4, and the question is, am I spiritual or am I carnal, worldly? And then verses 5 to 9, the field, and the question is, am I growing? And then a temple, verses 9 to 17, and the question is, am I building with the right material? So let's read 1 Corinthians 3, the first four verses. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So Paul addresses brothers in verse 1, and that, of course, includes sisters as well. In chapter 1, verse 18, he explained already that there's actually only two groups of people. Those who are perishing and those who are saved. People are perishing because they don't trust Christ for their salvation. People are saved because they do trust Christ with their sins. To save them from their sins. There's two options, in or out. But this group of saved people that he addresses in verse 1 as brothers within that group there are those who are mature and there are those who are immature spiritual and spiritual to be immature you can be immature for two reasons actually one is you're a child like we have here in the Sunday school and of course a child is immature or you have just come to Christ just recently and you still need to learn a lot of things and that is normal that's good and we will uh, address that in our next passage but in this passage he Paul is talking about people that are immature because they are carnal worldly unspiritual and that is not normal first one he says I could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. And I think he refers to the 18 months that he spent in Corinth itself. Uh, and we read of that in Acts 18, verse 11. And he was teaching the word of God. 
And then sometime later he's writing this epistle and he says the problem is you are still like that. You're still drinking milk instead of enjoying fast food or uh, sorry solid food not say fast food solid food <laughs> see we become more and more mature when we feed on the word and allow the spirit of God to teach us but we become stagnant when we don't have a spiritual appetite it could be a particular sin that is hindering us it could be that we don't have our priorities right. It could be that our minds are inspired by what this world teaches us instead of what the Bible tells us. So our goals, our goals are worldly. So the question is, on what sort of food are you surviving? Are you just happy to be saved and that's it? Or are you discovering more? See the, for example, the book of Leviticus might be as appealing to you as Durian is to a Westerner. And yet I remember this, this man in some jungle stream who picked up a Durian from that stream and he treasured it like as if he had rescued a baby from the water. He was crazy about this Durian. And I realized that this is something I still need to learn to appreciate. They say it's an acquired taste. So I'm not saying go home and read Leviticus immediately. But what I'm saying is this. Are you partaking of the Lord's Supper without much going on in your mind? And in your heart? Or are you growing in your understanding of what Christ went through and what that means to the Father? Are you praying for your suffering to be over as soon as possible? Or are you learning from the word what the purpose is of suffering? And what Christ is doing on your behalf right now, being in heaven, interceding for you? Are you growing in your love for your spouse because you learn what the bride of Christ means to him? Are you making sure you are spiritual so that your children will know by example what it means to love the Lord? These are um, searching questions and I, I feel it. I almost tremble when I realize that one day the Lord will remind me that I said these things. You see the thing is if we are stagnant in our spiritual life, if we are not ready for solid food, because we are merely human, verse 4, there will always be consequences in our own lives first, then in our family, and then it will show in the church. There will be jealousy and strife, verse 3. You will suddenly find that there's a lot of things to complain about in the church. Or you find yourself becoming a follower of men, trying to figure out whether you like Craig better than this new guy or the other way around or I will try to be as good as Craig or even better and we before we know it we lose sight of the fact that the church belongs to God and that each one of us is a responsible part of that 
So it continues in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. So we had the family meal just now, and now we move on to the field. And the question is, am I growing? Paul moves from the image of that field. Sorry, he moves from this family meal to the image of a field. Or as the old King James Version renders it, husbandry. Old-fashioned word. But it means a cultivated field. So it means there's a variety of tasks or ministries if we apply it to the church. There's the planting, verse 5, and the watering also in verse 5, and then there's the cultivating of the soil. And each one of do each one of us ought to do his or her part. And then God gives the growth, verse 7. And that's not just for the sake of growing. What God is after is fruit and fruit contains seed so that in the future there will be more fruit so that in the end God will have much fruit John 15 verse 2 and 5 and therefore Paul really admonishes encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 it says what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also And the implication is, who will teach others, who will teach others. And so, the result is fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And there is a diversity in ministry, but there is unity in purpose. He who plants and he who waters are one, verse 8. So even if your contribution seems to be very insignificant or unnoticed you're still part of that harvest and if your contribution is very visible and probably significant in the eyes of men it is God who gives the growth so the emphasis should be on God and humility should mark his fellow workers continue reading in verse uh, 9 9b he switches the imagery for you are God's building according to the grace of God given to me verse 10 like a skilled master builder I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it let each one take care how he builds upon it For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test 
what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So the focus, I believe, in this chapter is really on teaching the word of God. So we had milk or solid food in the beginning, and that refers to the word of God. Then we had the watering in the second passage, that also refers to the word of God. And now in this passage that we read, Paul is teaching us to see how we build on that foundation. How do we build with the right material as we teach the word of God? And in the past few months, my mind has gone back a lot, quite a lot to my younger years when I grew up. And I want to share that with you. During the service in the church where I grew up in, I would sit next to Auntie Berdin. She would always give me money, her money, to put in the offering bag. And then she would give me this brown chewing gum that I haven't ever found since. I'm still looking for it. But she also taught me in Sunday school. But I cannot remember much of that. I mean, I cannot remember what exactly she taught me. But I discovered later that she was this kind of sister that would actually read commentaries on the Bible because she knew that she could only teach what she knew herself. And she knew that if she would stop growing today, she would stop teaching tomorrow. And she wouldn't just read the stories from the children's Bible and and that's it. She would actually study the real Bible itself because she knew that she would need to study a passage in depth because before she could teach a child. So when I was 10, I decided that I was now a big boy and I didn't want to sit next to this auntie anymore. I was going to sit next to a man. So I sat next to a brother, Herman. He was 10 years my senior and I really looked up to him. I remember he came to my birthday one day. I'm still glad that he did. Apparently, I mattered to him. He helped me quite a lot with my homework assignments for school. They had a computer. And I was, I think we didn't have a computer yet. So he helped me with that. And a few months ago, just before we came to Malaysia, he traveled quite far to see us. And he told me, make sure you enjoy it. So when I turned 12, I joined another Sunday school class where Berend was teaching. And he taught us how to read the Bible for ourselves. What does the text say? What can you derive from that? What does it mean? And this brother Berend somehow realized that it makes sense to ask your teenage students 
to learn Habakkuk chapter 1 by heart. So we obediently did that. But this chapter has in fact helped me quite often. Then I couldn't wait to turn 16 to go with the other, Charles, uh, the other guys to Uncle Bertha's house after the service. He would sit around the dining table and he would start with our memory verses and then he would teach. Very interactive, asking questions all the time, explaining, showing the bigger picture. Week after week, year after year. And yes, he even made me appreciate the book of Leviticus. And he encouraged me to read. And now I find myself at Sam's dining table as we work our way through Romans at the men's Bible study, and I enjoy it. And as Sam teaches, my mind goes back to this brother Bertus who is now with the Lord. And I can only be thankful I think I was about 25 when I started teaching Sunday school together with Simon, who was more than 20 years my senior. And we took, together we took one class. And then I realized it wasn't easy. Even when you know the story, you need to work hard to teach it in such a way that it is meaningful and helpful for a child. And I learned a lot from Simon just by observing how he did it. And through experience I've learned that you cannot give what you don't have yourself. Passing on knowledge requires that you have that knowledge. But knowledge is hollow when it lacks love. I realized that I need to be in love with Jesus if I want to communicate the person and the love of Jesus. And I find this probably the greatest challenge. For knowledge will linger in your head for quite a while. But love in your heart that is not nurtured will grow cold very fast. And Jesus said it himself in Luke 6 verse 40. A very interesting verse. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. In other words, a student usually will not reach beyond his teacher. So the teacher needs to make sure he himself is growing. And these people that taught me the word of God and invested in me in my youth... They were building with gold, silver, and precious stones that we read of in verse 12. Not to mention my parents, who did the same thing on a daily basis. And the reason I share these memories is not to prove my qualifications to stand here. And it's not to make you jealous, because I know that there's many of us who did not have this privilege. I feel extremely privileged. But the reason I'm sharing this is because now we are here and we have children in the back. The reason I'm sharing this is to encourage all of us to consider for ourselves how we are building 
especially those who are leading the Sunday school or leading Bible studies or preaching from the pulpit. But not only that, although this chapter, I believe, deals with the church uh, primarily, I also think of us parents who are to teach our children the word of God at home. Don't just leave that to the Sunday school teachers. Paul says in verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me. So it's grace, no room for boasting. And then he says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Nowadays, if you want to teach a child that 2 plus 2 equals 4, you might need a master degree before they let you do it. But if you want to teach a child the unsearchable riches of Christ, Ephesians 3 verse 8, quite often all that people in a church require is a willing heart. And if you want to become a parent, no questions are asked at all. Paul says the foundation is Jesus Christ. I, an apostle, that's how he starts the epistle, as a skilled master builder, put it there in place, and it's the only possible foundation. And then he says, now you build on that, but you take care how you build on it. Can it stand the test? Or is it going to burn up? We do want our precious children to be taught well, at home and in the church. We do want them to know the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Teach them who God is, who Jesus is, what the gospel is. And help them to understand the gospel. We want them to fall in love with Jesus. So we don't want to just teach morals. We're not teaching them how to be good people. They can have that in school. But that is not the gospel. That is the kind of teaching that burns up. And the last thing you want to do is to bore your children with the word of God. Whatever you do, don't bore them with the word of God. They can also do that in school with science and maths. Good thing Sam is not here. And I'm not saying that our children will always be... Um, super motivated I can remember quite well that my father would read from the Bible and I just couldn't wait to go and play um, but now I'm very thankful that he was consistent in reading the Bible to us and actually explaining what it meant but boring a child with the word of God because we ourselves are not excited about it that is quite terrible Now, a word of encouragement, because I'm almost scared of my own sermon. <laughs> Paul wrote another letter to the Corinthians. And there he sort of cries out, who is sufficient or competent for these things? Second Corinthians 2, verse 16. And he answers the question himself in the next chapter, 3, verse 5. Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent. So the crucial point is, the teacher, whether at home or in the church, has to be and remain 
a student. You see, even Paul didn't think of himself as someone who had sort of arrived. And I really want to encourage you with that. He says in Philippians 3, verse 12, I press on. This was an old man. But he didn't like, okay, I'm old, I'm ready to go. He said, I press on. I'm straining toward what lies ahead. What is it that lies ahead? And I'll try to draw the picture, but let me first widen the scope a bit. Because so far we have really focused on teaching. But, and that in relation to growth at home and in the church. But there's more areas in which we need to grow. Remember, even Jesus, even Jesus grew. Luke chapter 2. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom, that is intellectual development, in stature, that is physical development, from child to teenager to adult, in favor with God, that is spiritual development, and in favor with man, that is social and emotional development. So teaching the word of God is part of a larger process. And for this whole process of growing, we need each other, all of us. You might not see yourself as a teacher, that's fine. But you might be very good in listening, or caring, or encouraging, visiting people, walking alone, alongside those who struggle. And basically, all of us struggle. And though this, this building here is not the real church, we nevertheless come together in this building, and that brings with it a lot of practical stuff that just needs to be done. So, in what capacity are you helping us to grow? Paul is not stagnant. He says, I press on. I'm straining toward what lies ahead. Now let me try to draw the picture in, in, in words. And that's about all I can do. And even then I feel very clumsy. Because it's beyond whatever we can imagine. But one day, you will reach the other side. Life here is over. Either because Christ returns, or because you die. And then you reach the other shore and you open your eyes and you realize it's heaven. And the air you breathe is celestial. There's light and exceeding joy. No sin. No failure. No fear. No sadness. No condemnation at all. And there is Jesus. And you see him for the first time face to face and immediately you know that you have known him all this while and yet you're totally surprised he welcomes you he embraces you and you have eternity to spend with him to discover more and more and more picture that for yourself because all you want to hear on that day is well done. Gold, silver, 
precious stones. Well done. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that your word always wants to encourage us. When we look at Paul, we feel like nothing. But we don't want to be discouraged by that. We want to be encouraged to build with materials that last. We thank you for all your grace, Father, and that you can always help us and see beyond our failures and mistakes and weakness. But we pray, Father, give us a willing heart to be students ourselves, to learn from the master teacher. So that after that, we can teach, teach others, minister to others in whatever capacity you have gifted us in. Help us to press on. We thank you that we do not need to deserve anything. We thank you that that day when we reach the other side, there will be no condemnation, only reward, and that is grace. That we do want to hear these words from your mouth, Jesus. Well done. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I do realize that a few things might have been rather firm that I said. And you might feel offended or hurt. And in fact, what I'm saying now goes for all my sermons. If you feel hurt or offended, please tell me. That's why I put my email and my WhatsApp. But you can, you can always talk as well. And you can use that even when you're not offended. <laughs> please be assured that I, I wrote this down actually. Be assured that I never want to sort of indirectly communicate something uh, to any one of you. If the message speaks to you, good. Praise God. But you never need to think, oh, he means me, but he doesn't dare to tell me. I hope the Lord will always give me courage to communicate a personal message to the person itself. Of course, I have addressed the Sunday school. And as a Sunday school teacher, you might feel challenged, and that is good. I hope all the parents, and each one of us, including myself, feel challenged to grow. But I think I can speak on behalf of all of us, to those of us who are teaching in the Sunday school, thank you for doing that. And this message was not meant to discourage anybody, but to encourage to become an even better teacher as you learn from a master teacher so that our children will benefit from that and that the glory will go to God. So we will try to arrange a teacher's meeting sometime soon and help, try to help and equip each other to clearly define the goal of this 
very important ministry. And besides that, you might remember that Craig started with this Excel spreadsheet in which a lot of you have actually put in already areas of service, of ministry, where you feel yourself gifted or where you have a burden where you want to serve. And I have that spreadsheet and it's not forgotten. We, we want to bring it out and develop that and work on that um, so that together we will continue to grow as a church. So next week is the last week of this core values uh, series. Next week will be on worship. Um, and then we finish this series. And then as I announced earlier, we will have a church meeting, I think somewhere in October. And we will try to set a date for that uh, as soon as possible. And I hope that will help as well as the series of sermons that we have had to really grow as a church that will continue to glorify God. So now continue your conversations that were cut off just now and God bless.